Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. It's the first Monday of March. Can you believe it? I, sorry, my my computer is apparently haunted. I was just talking about haunted things. This is so weird. Okay, here we are. It's Monday, first Monday of March. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so excited that you're here today because we have thriller author Andrew Main with us, and he has a brand new book out with Amazon. It's actually a big hit on Amazon, and they're publishing it called Black Coral. And if you haven't read Andrew yet, you're in for a huge treat, and I will read his bio here so you can get to know him. Andrew Main is the Wall Street Journal bestselling author, of The Naturalist, Looking Glass, Murder Theory, Dark Pattern, and Angel Killer, as well as an Edgar Award nominee for Black Fall in his Jessica Blackwood series. Black Coral, that just came out, is the second book in his Underwater Investigation Unit series. He's also the star of Discovery Channel's Shark Week, Special Andrew Maine Ghost Diver, and A&E's Don't Trust Andrew Maine. He's also a magician who started his world tour as an illusionist when he was just a teenager and went to work behind the scenes for Penn & Teller, David Blaine, and David Copperfield. Ranked as the fifth best-selling independent author of the year by Amazon UK, Andrew currently hosts the Weird Things podcast, which we're definitely going to talk about because everyone listening knows how much I love weird things. And if you need more information on his books, I did put a link to his website right there on the Blog Talk site. If you're listening live or if you're checking out the podcast later, you can click that anytime, join his newsletter, check out what's coming. And he's got some really cool things on his blog, too, and some AI. And anyway, I have a lot of fun on his website. So without any further delay, are you there, Andrew? I'm here. Yay. Welcome to Book Lights. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. And your new book, Black Coral, is out now with the, it's book two in the Underwater Investigation Unit. Do you want to tell everybody about it? Why should they go grab it this week? Uh, I mean, I don't think they should, but I would like it. (laughs) Black Coral is the second book in the series, but it's actually written as a standalone, so you can kind of jump in wherever you want. And it features Sloan McPherson, and she's a police diver from South Florida. So she gets involved with crimes that generally start somewhere around the water, a body being found or something like this. And in the first book, we sort of were introduced to her and her starting down her path, becoming a detective. And now she's with a special unit, the underwater investigative unit. And she goes on a, a dive, a rescue dive, to try to find you know, a, a person inside of a car. And along the dive, she finds something else in this pond in South Florida that leads her on a new case, and it brings up a very kind of an old cold case in South Florida, which I based loosely on a true case. Oh, that's so cool. And you're from Florida, right? So you know all of these cool Florida things. Some of them, yeah. I grew up down there, so that was, you know, one of the things. I'd written a couple other series, and one day I'm like, I should probably write about some Florida stuff since there's a lot of cool Florida you know, uh, just things about the state, cases, et cetera. My father, my, you know, my father was involved in law enforcement for years in Florida. So was my brother. And so just had kind of like a lot of a, you know, kind of awareness and stuff that I thought would make for good storytelling. 
Yeah, I have to tell you, I gave um, my brother-in-law, I had told him that you were coming on the show, and he's a defense attorney here in Florida, and he read your book and said, oh, my gosh, tell him that he has a fan. Um, So anyway, he he loved it. He went back, he got Black black Coral, and then he went back and bought book one, which to everyone listening is what every author wants you to do. Go back and buy the whole series. (laughs) We want you to read it from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy if any, you know, if people read any part of it. I, I, like I said, I try to write my stuff as sort of standalone, just because you never know where somebody might get into it, and if they know that they can kind of start anywhere, it makes it a little bit sort of easier to then get them to sort of one jump through. And that was like I think I read yeah. Bernard Cornwell reading his Sharp series. That's one of the things I liked about that was. You know, I remember reading one of the books. I had no idea it was an entire series. I'm like, oh, this is really good. I wonder if he's written the others. And it's like, yes, you read the eighth book in the series. There are seven <laughs> books before that, a bunch after it. And just the sheer joy I felt because I got this complete story and then realized that there were going to be all these other adventures. Yeah. And how did you get the idea to do, like, underwater investigations? I haven't heard a lot of thrillers that take place in underwater investigations. Where did all that come from? Well, growing up in Florida, being involved in scuba diving, and we lived on a canal, so, you know, I spent a lot of time in the water. And you're aware that there's a lot to Florida and so much happens in the water from just the, you know, the, the ecosystem. And it's a very you know important part of kind of even the, the global ecosystem, as far as you look at what, you know, um, how the Florida Everglades and everything's sort of a part of all that, but both what's in there physically, the history and everything to that you've got, uh, you've had indigenous people, cultures that going back to thousands of years, you go back further back, prehistoric creatures, Florida has risen above the sea level and sank below multiple times at certain periods of time. You you had even dinosaurs there. And contemporary times, this is a place where gangsters during Prohibition era used to run businesses. You have the history of rum running to treasure hunters to, you know, we've got wrecks of Spanish galleons off the coast and Saturn V rocket boosters. So it's just so much (laughs) going on there. And did you know, you said your brother and your dad were involved in law enforcement. Have you ever known anybody who's in underwater investigation? I didn't re- even realize there were special units for that. Well, they're, they're not, re- like you, the FBI will have, let's say, a dive unit that they'll use for special instances. And then you might have local police departments might have dive units or they might work with contract divers that will do things from time to time. But it's specifically underwater-focused dive unit. I'm not aware of anything to that. I just was sort of an invention I created because I thought it would be the kind of thing that could happen in Florida. And there are so many weird cold cases involving things being found underwater. It kind of makes right. sort of a neat sort of story point. Yeah, I love that. And I saw on your website, you are very into diving and sharks and all that kind of thing. Are you going to write the next Meg? Are you going to write a shark thriller? Do you see that in your future? Well, I have uh, in the first book, there are some, you know, shark encounters that come up there. And the more we keep slowed in the water, the more likely that's going to happen. So, uh, you know, I, oh, I love it. I'm kind of, 
try to write kind of realistic stuff. Um, but uh, and I love sharks, and I, I don't. I, if I were to, you know, want my reader to come away with anything, would be with respect and to realize that you know they're important right. creatures in you know the ocean, and you know we need to protect them, preserve them. Um, but also they can be scary and challenging and whatnot. So it's trying to find that kind of balance. So, you know, the, like I said, the first book, there's a little bit of sharky stuff. I've taken some of my own experiences and stuff like doing night dives and having bull sharks, you know, decide that uh, they weren't too happy to have me there and put that into, I put some of that in the first story and, you know, some other experiences. I did the shark week special where I got to go to South Australia and swim with, uh, in the middle of a shark feeding ground, you know, surrounded by like 16 great whites with no cage. And I'll probably find oh. a way to take some of that experience and put this into a book. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> and what about uh, alligators? Are Is she going to encounter those? I mean, it's Florida, right? Well, we are have. We dinosaur have alligators? Coral, we have. Yeah. In black coral, we have big bill. We've got a, we've got some, there's a, <laughs> Very important character that's an alligator in the current book. Oh, I love it. Which some <laughs> and his name's Big people Bill. take it away as their favorite. Yeah, because he's – we get – you know, alligators kind of want to be left alone. They kind of want to do their own thing. If you think about the number of alligators that we have in Florida is tremendous. And, <laughs> you know, if you added up all the alligators, like probably more alligators than there are people in some states. But – you know, they just like to do their own thing. Yet, uh, you know, if you kind of go into their territory and which, uh, you know, could be problematic, but you have to really kind of annoy them to sort of get them to do anything. But we have Sloan <laughs> for reasons explained in the book has to basically go into an alligator den and <laughs> which are these holes they dig underwater and sort of just chill out in. And I was going to ask you, too, I was uh, reading about the Jessica Blackwood series also and that she is a magician turned FBI agent. And I love that you're writing these, you know, female main characters and that kind of thing. Was that part of your plan or did they just show up to you, these characters, um, these strong female investigators? How did you come up with that? I I just try to think of what would be for an interesting character and then what kind of challenges can you throw their way? And with Jessica Blackwood, I grew up as uh, in a family of people who were in law enforcement and I chose magic. And I thought it'd be fun to inverse that and write about somebody who grew up in a family (laughs) of magicians and chose law enforcement. And Jessica, the idea to, to make her a woman came to me because it was just what the more challenges you can throw and to be in a, at a very male dominated sort of environment like law enforcement, which, you know, can be uh, still a bit chauvinistic. I thought that great. I'm like, great. Cause she can be highly capable, but she's still going to have to deal with people having their biases and stuff in the room. And she may have the right answer, but it doesn't mean everybody's going to listen to her because of their own sort of, things they have to get over. And so I thought, oh, it makes for an interesting kind of complication to say, let's make her a woman and have to navigate this field like that. And then with Sloan, it was just, I, I, I knew you know, women in Florida who were just super outdoorsy, but they can put on a dress and look elegant and that kind of that, that, you know, that ability to sort of be rugged yet, you know, elegant. I just wanted to put that into sort of a character. 
Yeah, I love that. And have you ever, because you came from the magic background, did you ever, were you ever tempted to go into law enforcement in the family business? Um, you know, it's, that's a hard business. It's a hard, it it's is. just a hard job. And, and, and I watched what my dad would go through with my brother and, and they're kind of built for that. I thought about it for like a hot second, but it's just, <laughs> I have so much respect for people in law enforcement, what they have to go through. I mean, you think about, you know, you, you have to deal with most everybody you deal with all day long is somebody who has probably did something wrong and maybe not the most pleasant person. And in right, this environment where, yeah, and in this environment where everybody prejudges everybody in law enforcement immediately, it's just ridiculous. You know, the first person that's going to show up at your house to help you out and protect you, you know, have been vilified. And, and you know, it's just it's a frustrating sort of situation, and I could kind of see the right on the wall a while ago. So uh, yeah. my, I have mass respect for anybody who chooses this because, you know, um, it, it's very popular to be critical of the people that are, you know, theirs that are, you know, putting their lives at first. <laughs> right. Right. Well, this kind of leads into, I always ask people what their writing journey looks like and, and mm-hmm. yours seems so interesting because it's, you have, you know, law enforcement in your family, but then you went into magic and now you write thrillers with law enforcement characters. I, did you always want to be a writer or did you stumble into it? How did your, what did your writing journey look like? I, I always wanted to be a writer. When I was a kid, I was stumbled across a box of old science fiction books by Isaac Asimov and Robert Heinlein and mm-hmm. Arthur C. Clarke. And uh, the covers fascinated me. I was probably nine or 10 years old. Started reading them and I loved them. And then I became a fan of Isaac Asimov because of how prolific he was. And I love right. the, you know, the idea of having written hundreds of books. just fascinates me. But I didn't take it seriously until about 10 years ago. I didn't take writing seriously. I never wrote a novel until 10 years ago. I had never written anything of any you know, length until then. And it was a matter of just focus. I said one day, like, I keep thinking about becoming a writer. Maybe I should take it seriously. And one thing led to another. Wow. And, and you just, you know. Yeah, and... I wrote, I wrote like, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, it's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, so I basically locked myself in my room and I wrote 10 books in a year. I just sat down and I said, wow. let, me, let me get my million words out as fast as possible and have a process to improve. You know, write a book, read a book on writing, write a book, read a book on writing, analyze what I was doing and just try to grow. Because I think a lot of people can be in an area and they can do a thing for years, but their improvement is gradual or almost not even noticeable because they don't have a process to make it better. They just do a thing like, oh, it'll be great. And it's, you need feedback. And feedback can come from other people right. or it can come from just having a process to analyze it. And so I, I went from never having written a book to a little over a year later sitting across the table from one of my favorite movie directors who wanted to option one of my books. And it wow. was just kind of this crazy sort of journey. So. Wow, that's amazing. And do you ever miss that you're not out touring doing magic? I had I had fun while I did that, and but you know if I can just be in one place working on one thing, that's sort of more fun for me. But every now and then, like I did the Shark Week thing because I felt like I want to go do something fun, and you know who's who haven't I performed for? I'm like I know great white sharks, so let me let me go try to fool great white sharks, and next thing you know I'm underwater surrounded by great white sharks, questioning my life choices. 
<laughs> I'm hoping that your magic is strong enough. <laughs> yeah. For anyone who has not been to Andrew's website yet, you have to go and see the pictures of him underwater with no cage. With a, You had like a shield and, and you had made some kind of ghost suit, right? So that the sharks wouldn't see you? Yeah, it's a suit designed with a special kind of camouflage to blend into the environment. But in order to prove that it worked, I first had to dive with the great whites with no suit and see if they would come what? up to me, which they did, oh uh, which is why I had Yikes. the shield. And so they were, they were, in a, they were curious. They weren't in a, I'm going to go eat this human mode. If they were, I would not be here, mm-hmm. but right. they would come up. They would wait for you not to be looking. Great whites will sneak up on you. So if you're looking one way, they will sneak up on you from behind. And so you've got to constantly be pivoting around and looking around and you have to eye each great white shark and let them know they're look, you're looking at them because, and you've got to keep a count of the sharks. And the moment you're counting and you realize, hey, am I missing one? You turn around as fast oh. as you can because that oh. one is coming right at you. <laughs> I had no idea that great white sharks are shy. They don't like eye contact. Well, they're, well, they're it's not the eye contact. They're, they're ambush hunters. So they want to have the advantage, and they don't want you to know that. I mean, if they if they're if they're set their sight on something, it doesn't matter. But like they're 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 ideally what they do is they want to hunt you when you can't see them. They have you know they're three hundred million years old. I mean, they these these sharks have evolved, but have not changed too much because they found sort of the optimum way in which to survive. And part of it is by being cautious. You know, they're ferocious, but they're also they very much evaluate risks. And they have an array of senses to decide if something's worth it or not. Uh, when they bite people, usually they just bite and they move on. The reason they bite, though, is one of their senses to see is like, oh, is there enough fat in this person to, you know, is this going to be a good meal or not? And they bite you like, nah, too bony. See you later. But, you know, <laughs> you, unfortunately, that measurement uh, leaves you bleeding or armless or whatever. Right. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Scary, but you're very brave. <laughs> uh, or and, stupid. You know. <laughs> yes, or you don't have that preservation instinct. <laughs> I wonder sometimes. I really wonder. <laughs> Do you want to tell everybody about your Weird Things podcast? I just think it sounds so much fun. You want to tell everybody what it's about? Yeah, so I I spent several years working with an organization that offered a million dollars to anybody who could prove something that was supernatural or paranormal and under proper observing conditions, which was fun. Uh, and we worked with different organizations to try to set up tests and ways to measure this and find these things, and we never could find anything. We'd hear great stories, and people would have, you know, I have an encounter, I saw this thing, or my cousin can do this, whatever. But when you actually went to try to test it, you could never find this or measure this. Now, that's not to say that these things don't exist. It's just that field of parapsychology has been around longer than the field of physics, and we can measure <laughs> subatomic particles and the sound of the Big Bang, but we've yet to be able to detect ESP or any of these other things. That being said, I, th- I think our interest in these things is fascinating, and, and I, I think there's a reason why we're curious about this stuff. I think the world is more mysterious than we believe. I think there could be things out there that we don't understand, and and I started a podcast called Weird Things because I didn't want to – like, I'm, I don't have any reason to believe in any of these things, and I can tell you all sorts of stories and accounts and stuff, but I can tell you the ultimate explanation for that, whatever. But I also don't think it's 
wrong for us to be curious about these stuff. So I never, I didn't want to become like the, the cynical sort of skeptic that says, well, that's dumb, that's dumb, that's dumb. I wanted to kind of create a place where like, hey, let's talk about these things. Let's talk about what's interesting about this. Let's talk about some stuff that's likely to be true or, you know, why are we fascinated by things that maybe aren't, but why are these things so persistent? That's so neat. And so you, I saw some of the topics that you had on there, like, you know, how, how would you defeat a Yeti and all those kind of things? (laughs) It (laughs) sounds like a lot of fun. (laughs) Practical knowledge, you know, practical stuff. (laughs) And we talked about too. Yeah. And it's interesting because you, some things start off as sort of funny and then you realize, Oh wow, there's something, um, disturbing here and like we used to joke about goblins and because we get all these news reports out of like some countries in Africa where they talk about goblin sightings and goblins and and first you know we're thinking little you know green dudes with pointy ears running around you start reading these stories and they always involve somebody who was practicing some form of magic or whatever and really it wasn't goblins they were talking about possession and then you realize these stories, you read them further, it was basically what you were blaming anytime you found somebody who was doing something kind of bad, you know, somebody who was maybe mm-hmm. victimizing people in the village. You'd be like, oh, no, they had a goblin. They had a goblin. It's like, oh, they were possessed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but have you ever seen that movie, um, 1408, where John Cusack is trying to find out if, there really is life after death and he's going to haunt yes, it was yes. a haunted hotel room did that remind you yeah. of your million dollars million yeah dollar prize? you know it yeah it's it's the, and the funny thing too is like you know my 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 co-hosts and i uh justin robert young and brian brushwood I mean, we're all like skeptics but you put us into you know brian once was like on the road on a tour and he was at one of these notoriously haunted you know, hotel rooms. And so we started having him do seance stuff and all this sort of stuff. And, and he started, he was there with the person who was his tour manager and they started getting freaked out because it's just, you can get in that mindset very easily. Right. And like uh-huh. I, I get, I get why people said, I saw this or whatever. Like, I don't think it was paranormal, but I know at 2 AM myself, if you put me into a weird situation, <laughs> I'm going to be on edge and I'm going to be like, was that a knock? What was going on? You know? So <laughs> I yeah, and if that radio starts clock radio starts playing a creepy song, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, and I don't care if you tell me well it always goes on at that time every night. It does not matter. I will still be clinging to the chandelier. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> so, I gotta ask. So far, you've been writing thrillers and things, but you you cut your teeth on sci-fi. Is there another genre that you've you know got a book in the drawer that you're thinking about? Writing? I have about 30 books in the drawer that will probably stay in the drawer. But uh, <laughs> I, I, do write, I do write a series. Uh, I have a science fiction series uh, featuring a character called Dave Dixon, it, which is set kind of loosely 10 years into the future. And it's kind of imagined like SpaceX and all these space companies sort of in overdrive, which when I first – when I first started the series and it, it's very hard, hard science fiction, like everything in there is something that's on the launch pad or on a laboratory bench right now. It's not like speculative, like what if it's, it's like, let's take right. this thing that's already engineered and move it forward a bit. When I wrote that book, I had the idea of, Oh, let me do a story about like, you know, a private space company, which you know, SpaceX exists at the time and a kind of a private astronaut, whatever, who works with them doing missions to, you know, some like, you know, set, you know, earth, uh, 
orbiting space stations. And this year, we have our first private space mission coming up. And I'm like, wow, like a lot of a lot of the far future <laughs> stuff, I, I figured it was going to happen soon. And like, I haven't even written the third book yet. And some of the stuff in the first book is already happening. Wow. That I think that that is fascinating about sci-fi in general. I I was lucky enough to get to meet Ray Bradbury a few a couple times before he died, and he used oh, wow. to talk about that that sci-fi dreams and then scientists make it possible. But without the dreamers, would we have the science? And he said, you know, I don't know. But but I think that's really cool when you. You know, in sci-fi especially, when you write something that you think could possibly happen, and then you see that it does. I mean, is that a, isn't that an amazing feeling? Yeah, you you have you have sort of the freedom if if you know your science, which I think is very helpful. And I, I think a lot of science fiction is often you, you don't have to know science to write science fiction. But the best science fiction for me is written by people who understand the science. And if you look mm-hmm. at your kind of your golden age science writers, like uh, science fiction writers, let's say uh, Robert Heinlein, you could learn Mm -hmm. about uh, microgravity and orbital dynamics by reading him. Or you take Arthur C. Clarke, who talked about the idea of the geostationary satellite. He was the first person, as far as I know, to say like, hey, if you put a satellite out at, you know, 22,000 miles at this point, it will remain relatively fixed over one location. And he was, uh, you know, helped influence some of the ideas of where you could do with, you know, how satellites would function. And there has been, I would say early on in particular, because you had people who were really well-grounded in science and engineering where, who could just say, what if, what if, what if, what if? And mm-hmm. sometimes that would inspire somebody to go, oh, yeah, no, cool, we could do that. Right, right. Yeah, where's our hoverboards and flying cars? Come on, guys. <laughs> Although I think well, somebody did yeah. make a hoverboard now, right? Well, you can, if you have a large enough magnetic field, you can do that. But it is, it is, it's fascinating though to look at where you watch movies and you know whenever you, you create a movie you want to show the most visual sort of thing you can show that the future is different. It's why a transparent phone is the dumbest thing in the world because everybody can read what's on your phone. But they do that in movies now that they show people the, the transparent phones because you got to show why a phone then looks different than a phone now and you can't just have hold, somebody holding a little black square, a rectangle, and <laughs> right. You look back, and but and like you know, it's one of these things to think that like we didn't get Ford's, we didn't get that, but we have camera systems on the back of our phones that are incredibly sophisticated. You know, we have artificial intelligence right. algorithms now that are you know incredibly capable, and so there's advances in some ways and some not, but some places we've advanced incredibly. Yeah, yeah, I. Uh... Ray Bradbury wrote a story about a smart house million, you know, and not a million years ago, but I believe it was in the fifties or sixties. And now you can control your whole house from your phone when you're across the country. I mean, wild things that, that you would think, no, that'll never happen. And now it's real. So it's, I I think sci-fi is really cool as a genre, just because you can dream big and eventually, those could happen. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the problem with his story, I think it was There Will Come Soft Rains, is everything mm-hmm. works in the smart house long after everything should have. And it our has smart died, houses, yes. 
Yeah, nothing yes. works right now. <laughs> that's the flaw there, Ray, is that you're smarter yes, now. All but that's does what it's supposed to do. Yes, but that's what made the story so creepy, that everything else just continued. Oh. All the people are gone. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. You know, it, uh, it, he is... He always felt like a lot of what he was was sort of like kind of sci-fi adjacent because he would sort mm-hmm. of more well, about he would what throw it's fantasy like to live into in this world. it, right, mm-hmm. right. Throw that fantasy angle into it. Ah, well, I have. We're quickly running out of time, but I wanted to ask you: Do you enjoy? Do you like have a reader group? How do you like readers to get in touch with you? Are you on Facebook? Do you have a newsletter? How should they get in touch? I'm most active on Twitter at Andrew Maine M A Y N E, and so uh, I'm happy to talk to people. Just you know, at replies easiest. I don't really go into my direct messages because it's uh, scary. But, uh, yeah, I, I like to talk to people on, on Twitter, so that's the easiest sort of way. And what's next for you? Are you writing the next book in the series, or are you, do you have something new cooking? So I have the, the next book for Sloan, which I'm in the process of writing right now, the process of procrastinating on, to be honest, right now. Um, and then, and <laughs> Waiting for I that deadline gonna, to get a little closer. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And then uh, – <laughs> Yeah, and it just you get pressure because like it, that book just the the third the second one just hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, and then you're like you get that other kind of pressure. Yeah, right. they, get, they get that other kind of pressure like like oh geez now oh, well, going to top that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, writing's hard. So it's fun though. It's really fun though. It it really is. Thanks so much for coming on with us today, and again. Uh, I can't wait to get the next book. So get back to that keyboard. Okay. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.